the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Bruce Hooley and Josh Pick with you here on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. We're glad to have you with us. We appreciate your time, and we hope that you will gain some insight from this program into why it's important for you to think and have a clear idea about a plan for your retirement. That's what they specialize in at Aptus Wealth Management. Their number is 614-917-1040. You can reach them on the web at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Physically located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, but they do many of their uh, client services online via Zoom. So you can be anywhere in the United States listening to us on iHeart or whatever apparatus you're listening on, and you can uh, avail yourself of that free consultation with Aptus Wealth Management. And we always try to start out the show, Josh, by talking about the latest news that might affect the markets, might affect retirement. We have the uh, jobs number out today, and it looks like our unemployment is creeping up. It's not at a worrisome rate yet. I think full employment is 4%. We're at 3.7% unemployment. But we had news this week, Bed Bath & Beyond closing 150 stores. I've seen stories here and there that some stores are starting to lay off, whether it's upper management, whether it's the average Joe who works there. What do you see in the jobs report that people might want to take note of? Well, it's not so much what I see. It's it's what the market perceives it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's one thing that we've learned uh, throughout our time working together on the show and that I've learned in the last 20 plus years in the business is that the market can be a very fickle uh, type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, many people are saying that the jobs report was as expected. So in turn, the belief is the Fed will not raise rates more than the three quarter of a percent because it came back in as expected. And the job and, you know, the market this morning reacted favorably towards the latter half of the day. Not so much. But I don't know that we really get a lot of information out of the job report, but what we did learn was that, again, the market's going to react very dramatically, either logically or illogically, uh, based upon short-term news. And you better be a long-term investor if you're playing in the market and you plan on winning. The market has been very volatile here lately. We've had some extended periods of losses, and, and, you know, you said it reacted favorably to this jobs report. Like, if someone asked you, oh, you're in the financial game. What do you think about the markets? Like, are the markets right now in a situation where you can kind of predict where they're going, or are they still kind of trying to figure out or waiting for, to see what the Fed does or waiting to see what the next inflation number is? What's the next big thing out there that you think might trigger the markets to head in one direction or another? Yeah, there are certainly times where you can look at the status of the economy and say, we have quite the tailwind. And mm-hmm. there are certainly times when you can look at the economy and say, we have more of a headwind. And then there are times where you kind of hold your hands up in the air and you go, darned if I know. Yeah. 
And I would say that if we're being realistic, there is some tailwinds in certain sectors that we could argue, and there's some headwinds in others. But I would say overall, if we just look at the overall economy, we have a lot of challenges to face ahead of us. And and while in the short run, that may not directly impact the stock market. In the long run, you know, that old adage, in the cream always rises to the top. Well, similarly, uh, on the opposite side, if you do the wrong things long enough with the economy, eventually it will spill over into the market. And I think we're waiting to see, um, you know, what elections do, what the government does, what the Fed does with interest rates. And a lot of companies are kind of battening down the hatches a little bit and and playing a little bit of a waiting game. So I, I fully envision that over the next few months, we'll have kind of this sideways chop. Now, whether I'm right or wrong, we'll see. Um, I think there's some movement in the growth sector that maybe we could do well. But in general, if we look at the overall economy, I think we're going to have a lot of static, a lot of bounciness, a lot of uh, heart palpitations along the way with not a whole heck of a lot happening. You know, the one thing that I notice is that we certainly seem to have two polar opposites in how uh, the economy is approached by the different political parties. The Democrats, whether this is... uh, modern monetary theory or whatever, they seem to feel like you can spend your way out of a recession, you can spend your way into prosperity. They don't mind spending. They're advocating, in fact, for more spending than they were able to do. Republicans seem to be worried about deficit spending. And, you know, occasionally you'll hear friends mention deficit spending. Is there going to be a day of reckoning? Will this all come crashing down at some point in time? When you consider the concept of deficit spending and whether that's the money we're spending on the Inflation Reduction Act or the money we spent, you know, a couple of years ago on uh, not Build Back Better, but the American Rescue Plan, uh, what are your thoughts on are we deficit spending? Is the student loan bailout deficit spending? I'm kind of curious about where that money's coming from. Is anybody getting paid off or are we just erasing that off everybody's balance? These are all deficit spending. And I think, you know, and I'm stealing a little bit of this from a guy named Ray Dalio who runs Bridgewater Capital. I saw him explain this uh, in a very clear and concise way. So I'm going to echo what he said. And, and that is that if you borrow money for an investment, and we hear that oftentimes that the country is investing mm-hmm. back into X or investing back into Y. If you're investing, then borrowing money isn't always a bad thing. But let's define what an investment is. If I borrow money at 3% to invest in an asset that's earning me 6%, then that's good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think of borrowing to buy a house or think of borrowing to start a restaurant. I have to buy a lot of stuff, but then ultimately if my restaurant flourishes, I pay back the loan and I'm good. With the country, when we borrow, or in our case, many instances, print money, that creates inflation. And inflation has really become our borrowing cost to the country. So we are passing on that inflation rate over to you and I. Mm -hmm. Now, if our wages go up faster than inflation, then that is the return or the ROI on that investment. In other words, we have dumped money into the economy to grow the economy so that the people who live in the economy live better. That would be an investment. And we're not seeing that. What we're seeing is real wages are by no means keeping up with the inflation rate. So... I don't care what politicians say. I look at what the reality is. And you cannot call it an investment at this point. You can just simply call it deficit spending. And deficit spending rather than investing ultimately leads you down a path of, I have a credit card that is getting a larger balance and my income is staying the same. I cannot pay it off. Mm -hmm. Then you file bankruptcy. Uh, That would be a catastrophic situation for the government. So 
shy of, you know, let's look at this from an outside source that we've run into this before. And every time the way that we've kind of dug ourselves out of this, think of, you know, the, the late nineties, which of course, you know, Bill Clinton gets most of the credit for, but what happened in the late nineties, we created a thing, you know, really the, the, the prominence of the, the home computer. Yeah. And then fast forward and we had the cell phone. Yep. The dot com boom. Yeah. We had this creation. I had actually heard a stat one time and I don't know if it's true, but uh, in five years' time, we had more technological advances than we had since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Well, that Makes creates sense. industries and jobs, et cetera. So sure. you can go into deficit spending, and then all of a sudden you have this giant steroid shot in the arm, and you dig yourself out. Now, shy of that occurring again, the spending that we're incurring today, I don't see a nice, bright, shiny rainbow at the end of that uh, the end of that road. Yeah, the hope is, and the the opinion put forth by the Democrats is that the investment in new energy technologies are alternative energy technologies, clean energy technologies will spur that kind will spur that kind of growth. I I don't know that we we have not seen that in the past. It was tried somewhat in the Obama administration and there are a lot of different tentacles to that, but I want to get back to what you said about I like the idea of inflation is the cost that we bear for the government pouring money into the economy. And then you talked about the inflation rate, which let's just, it's around 8%, a little over 8%. And real wage growth is, am I right, around 5%? Yeah, depending on which you know, yeah. analysis you look at. So yeah. five's not eight. So we are, there is a difference there of 3%. So do these things take a while to catch up? Do we sometimes have to deal with the short-term pain of that, in this case, 3% gap and when things are good or when you bet right or not bet, but when you strategize correctly, does time prove your quote unquote investment to sometimes be worth those short term losses or are short term losses indicative of what's going to dominate for a while? It certainly can. I mean, we've seen times when it can, but it has to be coupled this back to an individual again. Okay. I lost my job. I have a great education. I have a ton of experience. I'll find another job, but I'm in this lull. So I'm spending obviously more than I make until I find my next occupation, at which point I will turn around and start stuffing the coffers or the war chest full again Mm -hmm. for the next encounter. Unfortunately, uh, in the last, you know, several administrations, I would say, we haven't really seen shy of during the Trump administration where we saw a significant decrease in taxation and the liabilities on the individual and corporations, but we haven't really seen that fiscal responsibility. So I'm a little, uh, let's say, even shy of cautiously optimistic that if this pays off, that will be matched with fiscal responsibility to then in turn pay the deficit back off. So I, I really don't foresee this changing rapidly. I see it's kind of, you'll see these band-aids kind of put on a gunshot wound, but ultimately who's going to have to pay for it? American taxpayers going to have to pay for it in some form or fashion. And let's go ahead and just kind of leapfrog into the next thing that people are, I'm sure, concerned about, at least that I'm hearing. And that is, so I've done all the right things. Mm -hmm. I've postponed my gratification by saving money. Mm -hmm. I didn't go buy the Porsche when all of my friends were buying the Porsche they couldn't afford. I've been putting money away. I'm living within my means. I'm working hard to grow my occupation. And now it seems like the bullseye's on me to pay for all the stuff that all the people didn't do right. Yeah. And what can I do? Yeah, great question. And it's a timely question because of student loan forgiveness. There's a number out there that is said to apply 
to every American citizen. We'll talk about that. But first, a reminder that this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. And a free consultation awaits you when you reach out to Josh Pick and his team at Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. Aptus Wealth is on the web at aptusaptuswealth.com. Go in, get your retirement planning analyzed, get a plan, understand why you're doing what you're doing, what you should be doing. It's ultimately your decision. Josh and his team are there to provide advice and counsel and analysis, and then they trust you to make the decisions that make sense for you. But it's definitely good to get a professional in on the process and to get their opinion. And you can do that with no obligation at all. 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com. So the number I've seen is that everybody's on the hook for $2,000 for student loan forgiveness because the estimates I've seen for the total bill range between, and this is goofy to me, range between $500 billion and $1 trillion. I'd like to have a more finite estimate than that. That's a huge gap. Can't we narrow it down any more than that? That's one question that I have. And then the other question that I have is, is who's actually getting this money or are they just reducing their promissory notes? I owe 50. Okay. Whoops. Now I own 40. It doesn't seem to me like that amount of quote unquote debt. I mean, is that real debt or is that paper debt? And is it just get erased? You know, it's it's interesting. Could you imagine if you were in school and a, a legitimate answer would be on a math test? The answer is somewhere between nine dollars and nine hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Yeah, that's the math response that we're getting, right. which is pretty preposterous. Um, so I'll answer kind of these questions uh, in kind and then also bring up another issue that I, I just read today online that I, I hadn't thought about, quite frankly, but will pose an interesting scenario. Um, one, where does the money come from? Um, well, what you hear is that, well, it's government debt, so we're just kind of wiping the balance sheet. Well, does that mean that the government didn't actually send the money to the university? No, they sent they sent the money. The university got the money. So it's real money. It's real money. It's real money. Um, and I, I saw a meme that I thought was pretty, a couple memes, uh, I'm sure you've seen plenty of them this week that are pretty funny. You know, one is, you know, if you didn't go to college and you thought you didn't get student loans, well, yeah, you did. Congratulations. And the other one is I'd really like to have my, uh, home mortgage, uh, uh, I would like to have my home mortgage identified as a student loan <laughs> so I can pay off 10,000 bucks. Um, but you know, the other thing that we're not through the woods on all of the, the kind of little stipulations that are going to occur with all of this. I just saw that the state of North Carolina released that if, in fact, this gets approved, then they are going to tax at the state level that debt relief. So mm-hmm. if we're going to tax that debt relief, you, have, you don't have the money to pay off your student loans. So we're going to give you 10000 bucks, And immediately, at the end of the year, you're going to owe, you know, if you're in the state of California, who knows? You could owe 1000 bucks. 20% on <laughs> that $10,000 <laughs> quote-unquote income. You never saw it. But you never paid it. Now you don't have to pay it. So it's counted as income. Right. So, you know, how are people going to come up with the money for that? It's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out. But make no mistake about it. It's real money. And it's going to be the burden of people who are paying taxes at some point. Okay. So we were talking about the people who've done things the right way. They put off the luxury purchases. They've saved money. They either paid off or did not take out student loans. And now this burden comes along and the country may get into a situation where, you know, there's only one place that the government gets money. They talk about creating jobs and this, that, and the other. Their their money comes from the taxpayers. 
And so if you're one of those people who did it all right, what's your message to them? Or what avenues can they pursue to get some insulation or relief from this burden that they really didn't have any say in creating? Well, I think it's going to be a difficult road to hoe. I think that we can move the needle on some things, and unfortunately on other things we just have to cross our fingers and hope. But let's focus purely on the things that can really move the needle and improve. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest concern is at some point this will have to be paid off, and that will be paid off in the form of taxes. And you and I both know that the top 50% of the wage earners pay all the taxes in this country. That's right. So you should try and avoid legally paying taxes or minimizing your tax bill as much as you possibly can. What are some things that are kind of low-hanging fruit to do that? Well, while you're working, certainly you should be taking advantage of things like HSAs, 401ks. Make sure you're taking advantage of all the things that you can uh, to save as much as you possibly can without that money going to the government. In the future, think about what's going to have to happen to tax rates. Not only are the top 50% paying all the taxes, but those tax rates I can't find anybody that I ask if they th- that thinks the tax rates are going to go down. Mm-mm. So how do you save in a way where your tax liability in the future will be less than it is today? And that answer is Roth IRAs or Roth 401ks. Now, for most of us, that either hasn't been an option or we haven't had the foresight or the intuitive nature amongst us to just kind of go ahead and go down that path. So for a lot of us, we have to do Roth conversions. But we are in a low-tax environment right now. In the future, I can't think of a time in my life when there was a 12 and 22% bracket. It's always been kind of 15, 25, always. Well, now we're in a 12 and a 22. And then, you know, obviously there's ones after that. But at least at minimum, investigating, would doing a Roth conversion benefit me? And for those of you who don't know, Roth conversion is simply taking the pre-tax money that you put in a 401k, you put in an IRA, you put in a 403b, all that alphabet soup. You take those funds, elect to pay the taxes on them today so that all of the gains on those dollars for perpetuity, forever, Mm -hmm. are tax-free. So I would rather lock in my tax bill at 12 today or 22 today to know that my tax bill forevermore will be zero. I think now more than ever is a more compelling time to at minimum investigate that opportunity. And fortunately, Um, computer software and and just the amount of staff that we have to be able to do that enables us to do that. So if you have not at least taken a look at that, I highly encourage you to get with with our office, get with somebody, make sure that you take a peek at it because you're absolutely right. You've done all the right things. You're the ones that are going to look for for the money. Yeah. Aptus Wealth Management, great advice, 614-917-1040. Their web address is aptuswealth.com. This show airs at 7 o'clock on Friday night and is replayed at 2 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. Catch Josh and I every Monday, 12.30 p.m. for our Money Monday segment on 989 The Answer. You can listen to that online at 989theanswer.com. Aptus Wealth Management is located in Lewis Center, just a couple of miles north of the 270-23 interchange. It's right off Route 750, easy to get to. And they do service many clients uh, remotely, so uh, do not let your physical location be an impediment to taking advantage of Josh and his team's expertise and what they can do to help you plan and understand what you're planning for in retirement. Okay, so IRAs, you set the money aside, but you 
If you uh, then cash it in at retirement is when you owe the taxes. You're advocating for putting the money in a Roth IRA where you do not get the tax write-off at the time you put it in the Roth IRA. No, you do. Let me think now. You do, Yeah, you, you pay taxes on it when you put it in, but you do not ever have to pay taxes on it after that. Correct. Okay. And okay. while that's not the best solution for everybody... Um, there are a myriad of examples that I could come up with where it might not be the best solution for you, but for the lion's share of folks, there is a huge value in doing so. Now, the secret's kind of, the secret in the sauce is kind of the how do you get there from here. Mm-hmm. You don't want to, I have a million-dollar IRA. I think my taxes are going to go up. I'm going to liquidate the whole darn thing, roll it to a Roth. Well, you're going to be very disenfranchised <laughs> at minimum and probably pissed at maximum with how much that tax bill is. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought was we were talking about people who do everything the right way. They might have a pretty significant amount of money there in their IRA, and now they decide, hmm, I really wish it was a Roth IRA. Okay, let's convert it. Well, bam, that tax bill's going to hurt, even though you're doing it so that you can avoid a higher tax rate way down the road. Yeah, so the logical conclusion there would be, how do I structure this Roth conversion in a way that undoubtedly will benefit me? So let's say, for example, that you're a married couple and you're making uh, $75,000 a year. Well, the top tax bracket, for all intents and purposes, uh, or the top of the 12% bracket, is about $105,000 gross for a married couple, you know, give or take. And then we get the standard deductions, kind of boils us down to there to get us to the tax bracket. That would mean you could do a $25,000 Roth conversion at the 12% bracket, and you know you never have to pay more than 12%. I think that's a no-brainer. Yep. Now, once we hop that bracket and go into the 22, well, now you start going, well, you know, am I ever going to be in the 22% bracket when I retire? Maybe, maybe not. But what are some other things that are inherently go along with that? Well, how much is my Social Security going to be taxed when I'm in retirement? Are they going to change the tiers for the cost of Medicare when I'm in retirement? And is this going to be a source of tax-free income that precludes me from falling into maybe some of these little unknown gotchas when I get to retirement? But maybe the 22 percent's okay, and then well, how about 24? And you kind of start judging your pain tolerance. But it's important to at least structure a plan where you can again have an effective move of the needle to the benefit in your direction. But all of these things that you can talk about HSAs, Roth conversions, contributing to your 401k, getting the match, you know, investing logically, consistently, disciplined, minimizing your fees—all of these things are just uh, little tools in the tool bag, and you add them all together, and they can make a big difference. So don't. This doesn't necessarily mean that this one thing is that magic pill. There's no magic pill, just like there's not a magic weight loss pill. You got to do a lot of things. You got to eat right, maybe take some supplements Mm -hmm. and exercise Mm -hmm. to -hmm. get to where you want to go. Is it as simple as assuming that taxes are going to go up or there might be people out there who say, well, I think, you know, in 2024, we might have a change of administration. We kind of swing back and forth, right to left, red to blue. And I'm betting in 2024 we swing back to a Republican administration, and I think they're about tax cuts, and so maybe now's not the time I want to do what you're advocating with the IRA conversion from a regular to a Roth. Yeah, there's no perfect time. Uh, But I would also argue that if you're planning on retiring at 65, that there is a greater than 50% chance that if you're married, one of you is going to live past 90, which means your retirement's going to be 25 years plus. So you're going to encounter a lot of administrations. So you shouldn't be as short-sighted to say, uh, well, you know, I think in a couple of years the administration is going to change and that's going to change the whole demographic. Ultimately, in the long run, with the level of deficit spending that we have, taxes will have to go up. And fortunately, 
if you're right, Bruce, or these people are right, mm -hmm. that's fantastic for Roth conversions because that means we have you know at least one more year to do them at current rates. And then when the new administration gets in and if they even lower them, we have four years to do them at even lower rates before the pendulum potentially swings the other way. It's all about control. I think the most important sentence you mentioned in there is that it, instead of thinking about it Republican and Democrat, think about it like the deficit. The deficit is what we started talking about, paying this off and how you do it, taxes are how you do it. So long term with the size of the deficit, I don't see any way the taxes don't go up. And I don't think we're going to pay off the de yeah. deficit, quite frankly. It's a matter of how do we manage the deficit at this point. And what I have not seen in a very long time is any president, any senator for that matter, yeah. be able to balance a budget. And when you don't balance a budget, then the deficit continues to grow. And if you're just managing it, you're not getting rid of it. Yeah, because there's such an electoral consequence. You don't want to be the guy or the woman who has to be the person who's advocating for a cut in Social Security or a reduction in welfare or anything like that or child care. Uh, it sounds great. Yeah, we need to. But do you want to be the person leading that parade? Probably not. So it's best to meet with Josh and his team for your free consultation. Figure out a strategy for the future. You can do that at 614-917-1040 or on the web at aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. Aptus Wealth Management is located in Lewis Center, Ohio. On the web, you can find them at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com, and their phone number is 614-917-1040. We talk about managing your wealth, growing it, getting ready for retirement. One of the big things that people have to plan for, and I think they actually maybe don't overlook it, but I don't think they really have the costs of long-term care, end-of-life care in the proper perspective. And I got a real wake-up call on this when uh, my father died suddenly. He was in the home that uh, he and uh, my mom bought together, but you take one out of the equation, as happened, then all of a sudden uh, you really realize that it's not going to work anymore for them to be in their own private home. They have to be supervised. They have to be cared for. And the costs and the tentacles of that were an eye-opener for me. What do your clients um, need to know or prospective clients need to know about end-of-life care and how that gets paid for and what's available to them? You know, you had brought up the costs. Um, and, and I think we all, uh, as I speak with clients, particularly males, we all say there's no way that you're going to get me into a facility, right? <laughs> I have the silver bullet plan or I have the push me down a flight of stairs plan. I hear all these things all the time. Jump off a cliff plan, yeah. But the reality is, uh, if you look statistically, uh, everybody listening, you and I included, uh, have about a 50-50 shot at at some point in our lives we're going to need some sort of long-term care. It's just a fact. We know that the average stay is only about 18 months. So you go, seems manageable, we can afford that. But we also know those scenarios where you're talking about things like the memory care unit. 
and memory care unit is becoming increasingly full. Um, we are seeing more exposure to things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, types of diseases that require care for long periods of time. So if you're familiar with kind of bell curves, the cost of long-term care is an inverse bell curve, meaning that the, co- the, the, the amount of people on each end are more significant than the ones kind of caught in the middle. So you have a very good chance of going into a long-term care facility for a very short period of time, but you have an equally as good a chance staying in for a really long period of time, and very few people actually go in for that kind of you know year to two-year period. And the costs are staggering, and they're growing at an unbelievable clip. So if you look at, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't want to go to a long-term care facility. I want to stay home. The average cost, this is per uh, Genworth, which is one of the largest long-term care insurance companies. Um, They've done some research, and they did analysis of Ohio. The cost of in-home care is over $5,600 a month. Now, you might say that's a lot. But that doesn't seem unreasonable. Remember, that is not somebody living in your home 24 hours a day taking care of you. That is one nurse, eight hours per day. So if you need round-the-clock care, I'm not leaving my home, round-the-clock care, triple that number. But here's the more staggering number. In 20 years' time, by 2041, if long-term care continues to grow at the same clip that it's at today, which I can't envision a scenario where it wouldn't, you're looking at triple that cost, roughly. So the number is going to triple. So now we're at 15000 bucks a month. Multiply that by three. We're at 45000 But even if you just went to a semi-private room in a nursing facility, so now you have round-the-clock care, which is less expensive because you're in a facility, but you're sharing a room, you're at 7500 bucks a month, forecast forward another 20 years, and you're at 20000 bucks a month. So these numbers are overwhelming when you think about the average American is getting the lion's share of their retirement off of Social Security, and the most that you're going to get out of Social Security is roughly 3000 a month. That means that most people in the United States are living on less than double $3,000 a month, which means that every number I just gave you is more than what the average American even makes. And the challenge is, how do we solve that problem? Yeah, indeed. How do we solve that problem? And, you know, one of the ways that you can advance towards solving the problem is to grow the wealth that you have right now that you're accumulating in the job that you have, and they specialize in that at Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. Free consultation can also be set up online at Aptus, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. So you mentioned uh, that those numbers come from Genworth, and I think you said they're an insurance company. So... You invest in a lot of things, and you uh, plan for a lot of things in retirement. Uh, is there such a thing as long-term care insurance? And you know, how do you possibly predict what you're going to need? Yeah, there certainly is long-term care insurance, and you know, everybody that's listening has has a plan already. And your plan is, I probably don't have insurance because a small percentage of the population does. Um, your plan is I'm going to spend all my money until I'm broke, and then I'm going to hope that whatever facility I'm in is Medicaid approved because mm-hmm. we know Medicare pays for retirees' health insurance benefits. But Medicaid is for people who are impoverished to pay for their health benefits. It's the other side of kind of that Medicare program. So you pay all your money till you're broke or at least destitute, and then Medicaid picks up the tab. But Medicaid is not... Uh, approved in all facilities because not all facilities want to take Medicaid. So that's plan that everybody has already established. And you had mentioned that your uh, your father passed away, mm-hmm. and then your mother was left 
Mother was left with a home, but she didn't have the home in her name because he had put it in our name, and that proved to not be a wise decision. And so what we found was that there are attorneys who specialize in these kinds of matters, and he steered us through how to get that home back in her name while she was living. But that brings in a whole different series of uh, circumstances, which, honestly, we weren't thrilled about the fact that the home is an asset, and all of a sudden, you have a value judgment to make. What kind of care do you want mom to have, and are you prepared to allow the home to be taken in the providing of that care? Am I right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So let's say that dad had to go to a facility and mom was left out still living in the home. She's allowed to keep the home, but she's not allowed to keep all the assets. So it's very questionable, you know, essentially half the assets. Mm -hmm. But it's very questionable. If you really look at look at the income that comes into your household and say, do I cost half? You don't cost half. You cost half the food bill. You cost maybe half of the car expenses. Mm -hmm. But somebody still needs the house. You can't cut the house in half and cut the mortgage in half. So oftentimes, a lot of the planning that I'm about to discuss isn't just so that you can get the best quality of care. It's so that the spouse that is still outside of that care has the freedom and flexibility to live their life accordingly. But getting back to what you said, you're right. It's an asset, and you got to spend through all your assets. So there's another way that you can do this without insurance, which is very prominent, and that's exactly what you said, that there are specialists in the way of attorneys that deal with this labyrinth that is the Medicaid program. And what you're doing effectively is you're making on paper yourself look as poor as possible and moving your assets from your name into the name of a trust. And that trust is its own entity, if you will. Think of it as a corporation or a non-natural person or whatever word verbiage you want to use, but it's essentially no longer your money. And if it sits in that for an amount of time, it's no longer yours. The problem with that is you can't easily move all assets into a trust. And I guess I should stop and give the disclaimer that I'm not an attorney and I'm not providing mm -hmm. any legal advice, but we're trying to give a general overview of the options that you have. If you have IRA money, which now that nobody has pensions and very few people save money outside of their 401k, all that money's qualified. You would have to liquidate all of those 401k assets, pay the taxes on it, then move it into the trust. I've yet to find anybody that's really eager about that. So a better way would be insuring against that risk with a combination, potentially, of that kind of trust work. But people are oftentimes not very excited about the prospect of buying insurance that there's a 50-50 shot they may ever use, um, and it's not cheap. And in the past, traditional long-term care policies, it was a use-it-or-lose-it proposition. You pay for this thing for your rest of your life. The premiums can go up. You can't control them. By the time you get there, the amount of insurance you have probably doesn't seem that substantial. And if you don't use it, again, coin flip, not going to use it. I just wasted all that money. I mm -hmm. just threw it down the drain. When in reality, very few of those types of policies still exist. And the industry has really shifted to something called asset-based long-term care. And that's a completely different animal. And that's, that's uh, something that I actually think has very good validity to it. Um, asset-based long-term care is effectively a way where you can move assets that you're not using, and lever them up or leverage them up. You might be able to put 
you know, let's say $100,000 of your IRA money into a long-term care annuity or a long-term care life insurance policy, and that may provide you with $8,000 a month of long-term care benefit up to $350,000 worth of value off of that $100,000. If you don't use it, you still have the 100000 bucks. The only thing you've lost is the potential opportunity cost there. That has a tremendous amount of value, so much so that in our office, um, you know, there's a huge growing trend of children going back to fiduciaries, financial advisors, and saying, why did you not recommend that mom or dad had a long-term care policy? Because they didn't, they spent through all of their money. And now, I think we have a lawsuit against you. So in our office, we make people sign a note that says, I do not want to have this. Mm -hmm. Even though I know I probably should, I'm not going to have it. And that's because if you think Social Security is underfunded and you think the deficit's big, look at how underfunded Medicaid is. And I'm not certain that that one option where you run out of money and then the government picks up the tab is going to be there when you need it. Yeah, those are all great points. And I think great reasons for you to take advantage of the free consultation you get with Aptus Wealth Management. Because ultimately, it is your decision. And and Josh respects that. And I think what he tries to do is to make you aware of what all the options are and tries to evaluate, you know, what your tolerance for risk is, a lot of different factors involved. But ultimately, it is your decision. But sometimes if you want to make a decision that, uh, you know, might have long-term consequences, uh, it's good to know that up front. It's good to know, you know, what your options are so that you don't get caught unaware at the end. It almost feels to me like that some of those long-term care options, some of those firewalls that you can build, it almost kind of feels like a an IRA sort of thing for long-term care. Like you're the asset class or whatever you guys do or whoever invents these pockets that you can put this money into has identified the fact that long-term care is going to be a big problem for a lot of Americans. And it's figured out a way to give people an option to save toward that and to provide some sort of, uh, sort of buffer against that. Yeah. You know, I mean, insurance companies, let's just, let, let's speak frankly. I mean, they're big, they're big machines that know how to make money and mm-hmm. I'm not denying that. But they don't arbitrarily come up with solutions to problems unless the problem exists. True. And the problem is the baby boomer generation is retiring at a rapid rate. We're going to see more pressure on our long-term care system than we ever have before, which is why you see all these long-term care facilities popping up everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not because people just feel like building buildings and filling them with long-term care workers. It's because it's an increasing problem. And the cost is growing absorbently. And the funding is becoming a significant problem. You can't continually deficit spend on everything and just keep on increasing the amount of money that is required without the tax dollars flowing in, which is why we talked earlier about protecting your money against taxes. But if you don't have a plan in place, you're just crossing your fingers and hoping you're in going to the head side of the coin because that's the risk that you're playing. Well, and let me say too, and this is just my personal experience. I'm not going to I'm not making any kind of judgments or predictions and I'm not trying to scare anybody either, but uh, Josh outlined a scenario where, you know, you consume all your assets and okay, Medicaid takes over and you stay in the facility. One of the things that I faced was that we had my mom in a facility that um, if they weren't going to take Medicaid and it's hard enough moving your parent from the home they've always known and loved where they're comfortable, where they want to stay often into just a new environment. And they often view that environment as, um, 
this is where I'm going to die. I mean, I'm just being blunt. And it's a hard psychological hurdle to get over. We did not want to introduce to that challenge the challenge of saying, okay, now we're out of assets and now we move to another facility. And honestly, the facilities that don't take Medicaid are a lot of times much nicer. And um, we liked where she was. We wanted to keep her where she was. And so that's a part of this equation, too, is that you're not always able to be where you want to be if you're relying on the government to pay for where you are. Yeah, I mean, this comes back to that whole, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but it buys you options. Mm-hmm. And um, that's all this is. And and I, I guess to echo what you said, this is a judgment-free zone. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has to play the hand that they're dealt and make the choices that make the most sense for them. But I think it's very important that you understand the rules of the game and you understand what the options are available to you and understand the significance of them. You know, the reason that we make people sign off isn't because we're trying to, you know, torture people and say, you know, you made the wrong decision, you moron. It's simply to show the significance of the decision that we're making. And it, yes, I agree. It's unfortunate that, that you can work your entire life and blow through your entire life savings in a matter of a few years mm-hmm. at the end of your life and burn through the legacy that you could potentially leave to your children. I think, you know, as the father of three, I would love to be able to leave some money to my kids to make their life a little bit easier than maybe mine was. And that might not be possible simply because, you know, I got sick in the last couple yeah. of years of my life. So all we're doing is trying to prevent that scenario from occurring. And if we can do that within the confines of your overall plan, we certainly don't want to fund a long-term care policy at the compromise of your ability to live well in retirement. But if it's available to us and we have the opportunity, well, then by all means, we should snatch it. Yep. Aptus Wealth Management, folks, that's how you get some answers to some of these uh, matters that you may not have considered the depth and complexity of. 614-917-1040 for your free consultation. Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. I think it is common for people to, if they've worked their whole life, they've saved, they've done the right things, they want to uh, leave something for their children, for their heirs. And you're right. I mean, the whole end-of-life care thing can absolutely sap those resources quickly. It can take uh, what you thought would be a home that would end up with one of the children. No, it can't. You need that asset to pay for long-term care. So you mentioned trusts. Let's talk about what a trust is, uh, why a trust is useful, and um, how it might mitigate against some of these assets you've worked hard for um, not going to where you'd ideally like them to go. Yeah, again, I'm not an attorney, and obviously all trusts need to be handled through an attorney. But in general, a trust is used for, in, again, in general, for two primary reasons. One is to bypass probate and to dictate how heirs receive funds. So, for example, maybe you have small children and you say in the event that something happens to both my wife and I, I want my kids to be cared for by... Bruce, sorry, Bruce, you got three new kids. There we go. Uh, However, um, I don't know that you would be the best person to handle the funding of that. And I want to make sure that maybe the person who's the best, and I'm not picking on you, of course, because I know you're fiscally responsible. However, uh, maybe you'd be the best person to raise my kids, but I want to make sure that they're cared for fiscally forever. And I don't want to spend thrift blowing through all of the inheritance. So I can dictate that every single year they're going to get $50,000 to prepare for my kid or to uh, take care of my kids, and that'll last for their lifetime. So that's good. Um, the other thing that it does, though, specifically in relation to long-term care, is a trust is means uh, a certain type of trust 
uh, an irrevocable trust that's structured correctly means that the money is no longer your money. And the way that the government views that, at least in the state of Ohio, again, in general, if the assets in that trust have been held for five years, that money is no longer yours, so it is no longer attachable by Medicaid or the long-term care facility. So if properly structured with a specialist in that legal field, because it's certainly a labyrinth, and you need to be, you know, I mean, I's need to be dotted and T's mm-hmm. need to be crossed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you do it correctly, the assets that you place in that trust are now lo- no longer yours, so they're left behind. And a question that I get oftentimes is, well, it sounds like I'm hiding my money, and that doesn't sound like a very American thing to do. I mean, I'm, I'm literally using the government's funds by saving mine and pretending that I'm poor. It's, it just feels dirty. Well, let's look at it from a different angle. Let's say that we're not trying to preserve those funds to simply enrich my children. Medicaid doesn't pay for everything. So if you have Alzheimer's and you wear glasses or maybe have hearing aids or you have dentures, uh, there's a very good possibility you may lose or throw them away or do different things. Well, certain things, you know, like eyeglasses, they may only give you a replacement eyeglass pair through Medicaid every two or three years. Well, if you throw them away every six months, (laughs) who's going to buy you new ones? Your kids, your friends, or you put some money in a trust that your kids or friends can allocate towards buying you new glasses. So this may be a way to simply increase your comfort while you're in the facility. You know, the key word here from my experience is planning. And um, my brothers and I knew my parents were getting elderly and we knew there was a distinct possibility they'd need some long-term care. And we just didn't really delve into it until we were forced to delve into it. So I would encourage anybody out there, if you have parents in their 70s and you know, you're in your mid-30s, 40s, now's the time to have that conversation with them. Now's the time to you know have a conversation with a, a prudent planner like Josh and the Aptus Wealth team. Uh, understand the issue. Understand what you're up against. You can fix problems when you know what the problem is, when you know what the complexities are, and that's certainly something that Josh and his team can provide you sound advice on, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com. So I think awareness of this coming down the pipe is big, and the earlier we can ingrain awareness on all kinds of issues is useful. Uh, So let's delve at the other end of the spectrum. We've talked about end-of-life care. How do we get our kids to understand that, um, you know, money's important, planning's important, investing's important, there's a whole host of aspects of managing your money and uh, not wasting your money that are important? I think, you know, 10, 15 years old, 20 years old, when should you start to ingrain some lessons? I was I was struck last week. You told a story. Your mom, you wanted a stereo when you were in high school. Your mom bought it and then allowed you to pay it off on her credit card, and you found out at the end how much it really cost. And I thought that's a great lesson for a young person to learn. You have some other examples of some lessons that we can teach our kids in that regard? Yeah, that was a great lesson, and I don't know that it was a it was a planned lesson yeah. as much as mom didn't have the money and she, she didn't want to tell me no. Uh, but, you know, I think we, we learn most of our lessons through pain. Um, and, and let me give a, you know, I gave a disclaimer that I was an attorney before. I'm also going to have a disclaimer that I'm a dad, so I fully recognize that your kids don't listen to you in this, right? <laughs> so I'll give you some of the ideas that I had that I thought were genius that backfired miserably. Um, I had a theory that we should teach the kids the value of money. So let's say your kids make a $2 allowance or something like that by doing the things that they're supposed to do. Um, I decided I would make it $50 a week, and my kids were jumping up and down excited. But what they didn't realize, because I'm a Scrooge, 
is that I was going to then give them an itemized list of, you know, well, that's pre-FICA tax, mm-hmm. and that's pre-this tax, and that's pre-this, and pre-this, and I'm going to charge you rent. And it got all the way back down to the two bucks. And then I also said, well, if you save any money out of the two bucks, and it's still in an account 12 months later, then I'll double it. So it was like a 100% matching 401k. Um, I don't know that that worked. I like that. Uh, it, it all sounded very logical yeah. to me. Um, however, what I do think, and you know, I mean, it's going to be different for every kid. For one kid, it worked great, and he's got a ton of money in his account, and the other one didn't. Um, the one thing that I can say that's really, really helped, and I recommend this for clients who are adults. I mean, this isn't a kid thing. It's just a we compartmentalize things in our brains, is have kids, when you can, set up an actual bank account. And then have them have the money that they get to spend in cash at home. And that's fine. But make the bank account, even though this is really old school, if they want to get money from the bank, it's extra time for you. Go with them and make them walk their butts into the Mm -hmm. bank and get the money. Make it hard. Mm -hmm. Because I want them to get used to, this is my long-term care, my long-term, not care. Jeez, we're still stuck on that. This is my long-term money. And this is my short-term money. This is my fun money, and this is my oh-no or you know long-term savings money. And then be really diligent about making them stick to that. But at some point when the money gets to a certain amount, let them buy something really big that their friends can't necessarily afford because they've had that discipline and that savings. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do a match and all that kind of stuff, I can tell you from my experience it didn't really work, but from yours maybe it will. But I think the more that you can instill in them the discipline to just forego that gratification of buying that stupid little widget and buy something significant that actually improves their life. The more you can do that, the better. But it's a tough road to hoe. Believe me, I got three boys. Well, it's a tough road to hoe now because of, you know, online shopping. And I've got a spendthrift and then I've got a saver. And their mentality is just totally different. And I remember as a kid, you know, I, I had a Christmas club account. You go put two bucks in a Christmas club every week. And I geeked out on seeing that add up in my little people savings and loan book. So, There are a lot of ways you can ingrain those lessons to your kids. The point is it's never, ever too early to start. And again, it's never too early to start planning for long-term care because that's a big piece of uh, what happens to all of us. Josh Pick and the Aptus team await your call, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S. Great to have you, Josh. Talk to you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.